Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. For those of you that have been hanging out with us for a while, let me say good morning. And uh, for those of you, maybe this is your first time with us, uh, let me say good morning. We've been in this series now for several weeks that we've entitled Jesus Misunderstood. And most weeks I begin with a, a story of how I or someone else was deeply misunderstood and how we all wish we could be understood better. This morning, however, um, I, I was actually understood for something I said two weeks ago, and now I wish everyone had misunderstood me. Um, you can just go ahead and chalk up what I said two weeks ago to dumb things that your pastor says from time to time. And I know some of you are thinking, I got a list. Um, well, I don't want to see your list right now, but um, every now and then I open my mouth and something just kind of falls out. And two weeks ago in a message, I decided to use an illustration that was not helpful. I was talking about stealing, and I was just touching on it very briefly, and I suggested that if you had a bunch of our River Bluff church pins in your possession at your home or in your house, that you were a thief. That was a dumb thing for your pastor to say. Just so you know, I am repenting, I'm confessing, I'm agreeing, dumb. Those pens are to be used, they're to be taken, they're to be given out to others. So if you do have them in your car or, or in your home, don't gather them up and bring them back here, okay? We, we don't want you to do that. You're not a thief, you did not steal from your church. If you've got a bunch of them at home though, start using them out, out there, in the world. When you, when you write a, you know, your, sign your name on a receipt at a restaurant, leave the pen. We, we want to use those for marketing. We want, we want River Bluff's name to get out there so that when somebody, maybe, finds themselves in a, a moment of hurt or need, they may just think of that, the name of that church. Especially if you had been kind to them and left them a good tip. That would help a, a, as well. So use those pens. You're not a thief. Pastor Joe apologizes for having even suggested such a thing. Okay, that's my uh, confession for the day. I'm not going to say the Holy Spirit might not remind me of something else, but let's just stop there for now. Now, years ago, uh, my wife Kathy, some of you know this, she worked at Charleston Southern University. It was still, I think, called Baptist College at the time. And she worked in the financial aid office, and uh, one of the things she did was she kind of uh, had some work-study students that worked under her direction. And one, one gal that was a student there working in work-study with Kathy was from St. George, and she had come back after having gone home for the weekend, and she was just excited to tell Kathy uh, about this story. Uh, she knew that Kathy Kathy's dad was a big hunter and liked to, to go hunting, and her daddy was a big hunter and liked to hunt. And she had gone home for the weekend and taken a friend with her, and they, her, her dad was going hunting that Saturday morning. She said, Daddy, I want to go with you. 
And he said, well, she said, no, I want to hunt. I actually, you know, he had taught her how to shoot a shotgun and all that kind of stuff. And he said, well, okay. And so her dad, thinking that the girls would get tired of waiting and, you know, go back home, he left, left her, uh, them kind of at the end of where uh, the activity was going on hunting that day and um, left her with a, a car, a Pinto. And there's these two girls in the woods and, you know, nobody's expecting anything to happen. But sure enough, a deer comes out and she shoots the deer and drops it. And her and her friend go into the woods and drag the deer out of the woods and put it in the trunk of the pinto. Now, Kathy said, she said, Joe, if somebody else had told me this story, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I absolutely believe this girl. She, they drug it and they put it in the pinto and they start driving, heading back to where her daddy said, you know, he was going to be if, if she needed him. And so they're about halfway there and they start hearing a banging around in the back of the car. The deer woke up. And so they, they, they race on down to get to where their dad is and they, they, you know, they pull up and they're honking and screaming and jump out the car, don't know what to do. And anyway, a couple of guys come around, hold, kind of hold the trunk down and one opens the latch and they jump back and this deer jumps out and takes off running. Now that's the only resurrection story that I kind of have. Um, a, a personal encounter. And I know the deer wasn't really dead and brought back to life, but um, it, it, was, it was just, that would have been crazy to be there to, to see that. And uh, uh, it, I, just to hear her tell the story was, it's just kind of wild. Now, today we're going to look at a much greater true story, just like that one, but a true story of a, of a true resurrection, a real resurrection of someone who was dead that was brought back to life. And the events around that, the context, if you would, are incredible. See, Jesus was working to clear up confusion about who he was and, and what he had come to do and what resurrection actually was. And as Kyler read to us earlier, Jesus makes this statement recorded in John chapter 11 in verses 25 and 26. And he tells us, I'm the resurrection and the life. That's who Jesus says. He, he makes this statement, you know, in a context of an event of resurrection. Now, this one's not his own resurrection, but it's the resurrection of a dear friend, Lazarus. And I want us to dig deep down into, I want to unpack these details of this event uh, that, that out of which this great I am statement flows because it has much to do with, I believe, our lives right in the here and now. And so I want to look at three different ways, if you would, that many of us die on the inside and learn how the resurrection and the life wants to raise what might currently be dead in us. And we're going to use much of the gospel of John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, open them there now. We're going to jump around in that chapter. So kind of keep your Bibles open or on to, to, to that page. John 11 verse 1 reads this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. And we're going to find out that Lazarus wasn't just a little ill. He was so sick he was going to die. So this was Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was this Mary, verse 2 says, that anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. You can read about that account in John chapter 12. But verse 3 says, so the sister sent to him, being Jesus, sent to Jesus saying, 
What, what is it that they said? They said, Lord, the one that you love is ill. He, he whom you love is ill. Now, friends, that's, that's bad news. You know, oftentimes, life can just be going good, and then suddenly, something like that gets told to us. And I want to just pause here for just a moment and acknowledge that although many people, maybe some of you during this pandemic have, maybe it's just mostly been a big inconvenience for others, for lots of others, there's deep sorrow, people hurting right now, people who have experienced similar bad news. Lots of people who have heard that phrase, the one that you love is ill. And much of it has been COVID, yes. But for others, they've heard the one that you love has cancer. Or the one that you love has been in this horrible accident. Or, or maybe, maybe you've heard the job that you love is probably going away. Or, or maybe that dream marriage that you love has kind of turned into a nightmare. Or that close friendship that you love has blown up. Or maybe the principal calls to talk with you about that teenager you love, and it's not to tell you that they made the honor roll. You know, we, we get this. You, you know what I'm talking about. You get bad news, something that's not favorable. You know, I, I can call to memory many times that's happened to part of this River family. Someone gets some tragic news of a loved one maybe having a massive stroke or a heart attack. Oftentimes when this occurs, I, I think back to several stories. One of those is a, a, a events in the life of a dear sister and brother, uh, her son actually, who are members of our church, Bev and, and, and John Minnick. John ended up having this very prolonged illness. He got sick. He got hospitalized. He, I mean, he just continued to spiral downwards. They ended up putting John on this machine called an ECMO machine to keep him alive. And eventually, actually on more than one occasion, doctors came and told Bev that John wasn't going to make it. And we cried out. We, we prayed. We sought the Lord and the doctor said, you know, even if he does, he'll probably have some permanent damage afterwards. And I remember as a pastor, this internal battle of trying to figure out, you know, what do you say to this mother who's looking at her son and the doctor saying, he's probably not going to come home. Lord, the one you love is ill. Now, in the middle of that moment, Jesus says something that's amazing. In verse 4, Jesus says, this illness is not going to lead to death. He says it's for something. What does he say it's for? Jesus says it's for the glory of God, so that something even more profound can happen, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You know, this, this very thing that you would, you know probably never ever want to happen is going to bring Jesus great glory. The worst news that you could imagine. The Bible says here that Jesus is going to be glorified from it. 
Now, we're going to come back to that verse uh, in a minute, but I want to fly through and just kind of summarize verses 5 through 14. You can kind of read it. Some of the verses are going to come up pretty quickly. But basically, everybody pretty much believes because he's such good friends with Lazarus that Jesus is going to show up. But what does Jesus do? For two days, Jesus does nothing. Verse 6 tells us, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus just decides, hey, just going to kind of hang out. (laughs) His disciples are freaking out. Jesus is hanging out. And then two days later, we read in in verse 7 that Jesus says, let us go to Judea again. And they arguing, they say, no, if you go there, everybody there is trying to kill you. And, And that was true. But Jesus says in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, Lazarus wasn't really tired in taking a nap. It was just a metaphor that Jesus was using. In verse 13, we read, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. So Jesus has to be very plain with them. And in verses 14 and 15, Jesus does that. Jesus says, Lazarus has died. We got to go to him. Let's let's go. And now what I want to do is I want to take kind of a a, a roundabout shot of some characters, people who were in this story and see how the resurrection and the life impacts them. One of those that was part of this event was a disciple named Thomas. And then I want us to look at Mary. And then I want us to look at the other sister, Martha, because though Lazarus actually died. The three of them had stuff dying and dead inside of them. And perhaps today it will point to something in, in, in our own lives, some, something that maybe you'd be able to personally relate to, maybe something you're going through right now, or maybe you'll remember a time you went through something like this, or maybe this is preparation for something that you're going to go through. But let me start with Thomas. Thomas was called Doubting Thomas. But here in in this biblical account, we're actually told that Thomas has a a, a different nickname. Verse 16 says that Thomas was called the twin. Thomas was known as the twin, but nowhere in Scripture are we actually introduced to his twin. I, I wondered, you know, maybe they called him his twin because Thomas was always beside himself with doubt. You know, maybe that's what it was. Maybe he felt like he had, you know, two personalities or something. I don't, I don't know. But that was his nickname. Anyway, Thomas, this one filled with doubt, said to his fellow disciples in verse 16, and I want you to watch because he's not going to just be doubting. He's going to be pretty sarcastic. He says, well, let us just go that we may die with him. Thomas just, he knows they're just, nothing good's going to come out about what's gonna, about to happen. He doesn't think there's going to be a happy ending. Right now, some of you may be able to relate to Thomas. See, Thomas was kind of dead in his doubts. Thomas was constantly battling his doubts. It was, it was killing him on, on the inside. But here's, here's the hope of the gospel. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus raises those who were dead in doubt. I don't know how many of you would be honest enough to say that, you know, you've had some spiritual doubts at some point in your lives. 
Maybe what we ought to just, just raise your hand. Right there, even there at home, here in the room, if you've ever had, you know, some spiritual, spiritual doubts. Now, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just, you just polish your halo for a minute. I'm gonna talk to the other people. We, we've all had doubts. If, you were, if you'll be honest, everybody has. We've prayed a prayer. We prayed believing it and thought, you know, God's gonna answer it. And then when he didn't, wham. You just get slammed with doubts. Why, why didn't God do this? Or perhaps maybe your story is that you, you grew up in a home that you know, was a, a home of faith and you had this really you know, childlike, simple, beautiful faith in, in Jesus and then you go off to college and you, you signed up for you know, uh, biblical literature class as a freshman, and you go into this class, and the first thing that the professor says when he holds up the Bible and he says, you know, the stuff in here is not really true, it's just some great literature. And wham, you're smacked down with, with doubts. You start wondering, was this just my parents' faith? Did, was this, is this real to me? Or maybe your story is that you believed God and you believed God in something, but something, you know, that really bad happened to someone that you really loved, and you thought, well, if God is good, why? why? If God is all-powerful, why didn't he stop this? Suddenly, you're right where Thomas is. And there's something of your faith that experiences a death because of doubt. Or maybe you're more like, Lazarus' sister, Mary. Verse two told us that it was the same Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet. You, again, you can go read that in John 12. Mary was very, very discouraged. We see this in verse 20. The Bible tells us when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went, she went to meet him, took off to meet him. But watch what it says about Mary. But Mary remained seated in the house. Mary was paralyzed. She was, she was immobilized. Mary didn't budge. And this is, we know Mary was this passionate follower of Jesus. This was so out of, out of context of her personality. She didn't have the emotional energy, the spiritual energy to go to Jesus. She's like, why, why bother? My brother's already dead. Nothing can be done. And I just wonder maybe today how many of you may be thinking, you know what I'm in can't change. I feel so isolated. I feel so, so alone. I, I, I feel defeated. I'm always going to be battling this depression. I'm always going to be stuck in this dead-end job. My marriage is never going to change. I'm never going to have the marriage I thought I'd have. I'm just stuck just completely discouraged. Jesus, I, I, I'm discouraged. This isn't the way things were supposed to go. My, my spouse was supposed to still be here with me. I wasn't supposed to be cut off from relationships with my kids. For some of you, that's where you are right now. And some of you try to, you know, hide it. You try to grin and bear it. You try to, you know, put on a happy face. You, you try to use the, you know, the Christian language. Somebody says, how are you? And you say, oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. On the outside. 
but you're dying on the inside. You're defeated. You're deeply discouraged. You may even be clinically depressed. You know, some people that are dead in their doubts, Jesus is patient with and he loves those battling with doubts because he's the truth. So he'll know if you just keep, keep pressing in, you'll find him. Others are dead in their discouragement. And you need to know that Jesus will, will come and he'll minister to your troubled heart because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus raises those who are dead in discouragement. That's who he is. That's what he does. He knows you're hurt. You, you just don't see anything good happening. You, you, you just think you can't get a break. He's not ignoring you. He wants to bring life to you. He wants to give you life right in the middle of your discouragement. He has a resurrection plan for you. Some of you today may be more like Thomas. Others more like Mary. Some of you be, even be more like, like Martha. In fact, my guess is this is where many of us are today. Same struggle that Martha had. See, for Martha... God was taking just a little bit too long. Jesus should have, have come back earlier and he didn't. Why, why did he take so long? We see this in verse 17. In verse 17, we see Martha just kind of crying out. You know, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how many days? Four days. Now, when, when there's something in the scripture that's specific like that, you ought to ask, why did they mention that? What's the big deal about four days? Well, here's the really big deal. In, in Martha's day, in their culture, there was a commonly held belief that a spirit, when someone died, their spirit would kind of stick around for three days, kind of hover, hoping that maybe they'll come back to life and the spirit could jump back in. It was not, it's not a Christian belief. It's not a biblical belief. It was kind of like folklore. But they believed that on the fourth day, this person was dead. They were like all the way dead. So in her mind, Lazarus was, wasn't just dead. He was, he was completely dead. And, and we know this because Martha, when she would describe Jesus to Jesus a little bit later, what, what experience Lazarus was having, the King James Version gets it just incredibly. She, she tells Jesus, she said, Lord, by this time, by day four, he stinketh. Isn't that a great word, stinketh? You know, that, that's the description here. Four days, dead, dead. In verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why'd you take so long? What were you waiting on? If you had been here, we wouldn't be in this mess. Some of us right now relate to Martha. See, she's dealing with death from delay. Some of you are feeling dead in delay. But the resurrection and the life, Jesus raises those who are dead in delay. You, you've been waiting for an answer to prayer. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's some result from, from the doctor that, that you're waiting on. Or, or maybe over the years you've been praying, you know, for 
for someone to come to, to know the power and grace of God and they just seem to be pushing farther away. I, I know Christian young people who passionately serve Jesus and they're, they're waiting for kind of a significant other to come along. You know, all their friends are out doing the club scene and doing just about anything and everything else to make a connection, but they're remaining faithful but they're secretly wondering, God, what's taking so long? They feel like they're always the bridesmaid and never a bride, or guys feel like they're always the girl's best friend but never the boyfriend, and they get discouraged. I've watched married couples. They're praying for a baby, and, and they, they just can't conceive, and it seems like everybody around them just, you know, a couple other couples just look at each other, and they're pregnant with triplets, and they, they get so discouraged, they wonder why God is delaying not answering their prayers. And it seems harder to pray, and they cry out, why God? You know, I, I'm, I'm praying with, our elders are praying with, our church is praying with people right now, believing that God would actually heal them. Because we know that all things are possible with God. And we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we're just not seeing God do it yet. And sometimes you feel dead in that delay. Friends, if that's you today, if that's, if that's the death you feel like you're experiencing, please hear this. God's delay is not a deny. It's not a denial. He's not telling you no. He may just be telling you wait because God has something better yet. It, it, it doesn't mean that God is, you know, is not still in charge. It doesn't mean he's not sovereign because he hasn't moved yet. It may mean that he's working a plan and through your, your waiting, he's going to get greater glory. Martha almost hopelessly says, Lord, if you had been here when I called you, my brother would not have died. Now, I don't know how you read God's word. But sometimes I believe there are pauses. And I believe there was a very awkward pause between verse 21 and 22. We know from our earlier study that Jesus never minded awkward pauses. Jesus, one day there was this really awkward pause with him and the Pharisees, a conversation, and Jesus just let it hang in there. He got down on the ground and just drew in the dirt because Jesus didn't mind awkward pauses. But us, we always feel like we got to say something. And so in verse 22, Martha says this, but even now I know. Even now when all hope is gone, even now when I'm dead in this delay, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha knew this. Martha proclaimed this. She looks at Jesus and says, right now, even now in the mess we're in, in my delay, even now I know. And see what, what Martha was proclaiming whether she believed it fully or not, what Martha was proclaiming was a great truth that even though we may be dead in delay or discouragement or doubt, even now, whatever Jesus asks of God, God will give. Today, some of you may need to have an even now moment, an even now moment with God. I remember back in that hospital waiting room and then at times in, in John's ICU room, the docs had told her that 
we can't keep him on this ECMO machine anymore. It would cause irreparable damage, probably already had. But instead of trying to prepare Bev for the inevitable, as the doctors were kind of saying, we just cried out to God for a miracle. We just begged God. And it wasn't just me and Bev. I mean, there were so many of you. I think of Wynette Miller and Joan Beecham and just so many others that were around surrounding Bev at that time, praying passionately, begging God for a miracle. This whole church was just praying. Believers all over the place were praying, crying out to God to do something miraculous. And I don't know why God answered that prayer for healing, but he did. I don't know why he hadn't done it earlier, why, why it took to getting to that moment, but I do know this, in that moment, Bev had an even now experience. Now, they've been on this stage talking about that, what God did in their lives that day, and John is a joyful part of our church family. When it's safe for us to come back in the building, I'm, I'm sure we'll see John. He usually sits right over there. Every now and then, I get a handwritten letter from John. It's usually three or four pages long. And he recounts what God did. And he, he, he just encourages me. He just, he just encourages me. He reminds me what God brought him through. And I know that God, that Jesus has received much glory from Bev's mouth and from others for what we got to see him do. You know, we've seen other even now moments around here. The miraculous healing of, of, of Pastor Kurt from his stroke. Uh, just countless even now moments where God breaks through. And so you need to know that God can break through your discouragement even now. The presence of the living God can come and he can strengthen your faith. Even now when you feel alone, the Holy Spirit can come to you in, in his presence and, and, and give you a peace, an encouragement, a comfort that passes all understanding. Even now, God can reach into your messed up family and bring healing and harmony and hope and forgiveness and restoration. Even now, when it looks like everything might be impossible, because we serve a God for whom all things are possible. You know, even now, when your heart may be cold and callous towards the things of God, our God in a moment can soften your heart and draw you into his presence. Even now, there, there, there's something that may be dead in you, but there's resurrection power for you because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I want you to see how Jesus responds to Martha's declaration of even now. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha responds to that statement. Yeah, I, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She says, I, I, I get that. She was confident in that very thing. She, Jesus made that statement in verse 23 and Martha made the reply in verse 24. She was confident, but she was confused. She was thinking of a different resurrection. She was thinking of something that was a long way off. But friends, Jesus was working in the here and now that day. And so in verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He did not say, I'm able to resurrect. He said, I am the resurrection. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everybody, everyone who lives and believes in me shall not die. And then that question, Martha, do you believe? Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. But do you personally, Martha, I know you believe, I know you've studied the Bible, I know you know about the, the resurrection, but do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that, Martha? And that question reverberates through time to us today, and we, we have to ask that question of ourselves. We have to hear Jesus ask that question to us. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? See, resurrection is not just what Jesus does. Resurrection is who he is. It's just who he is. See, the resurrection is not so much an event. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Because what's dead in you needs a resurrection now. And when, when the resurrection and the life shows up on the scene, look what happens. Jesus, Jesus looks at the tomb where Lazarus is. And in verse 39, he says to his disciples, take away that stone. T take it away. And then in verse 43, Jesus does something. It says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Now, why do you think Jesus cried out with a loud voice? Well, I don't know. You know, I don't know whether, you know, the dead can't hear real good. I don't know. But the Bible then says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. Come out. Verse 44 tells us that the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of you know that a very short time after this event, there would be another burial. There'd be another tomb but there'd be a different body. There'd be another stone. I love to think about the contrast of those two stories. The one where Jesus is dead in the tomb and there's a stone blocking it. The one where Lazarus is dead in a tomb and there's a stone blocking it. When Jesus goes to Lazarus, he tells the disciples, roll the stone away. When Jesus is in the tomb, on the Sunday after his death and burial, some of the women were heading back to the tomb. Mark chapter 16 records this for us. They were heading back to the tomb. They were going to finish up the preparation of his body for burial. They had to rush and didn't get it all done because the Sabbath was coming. While they were on their way, they were discussing this question. They asked, who's going to roll the stone away for us? Who's going to take care of this stone? This giant thing that's keeping us from what we need to get to. Some of you watching today may feel like on the inside, like you're in a tomb of discouragement. 
or a tomb of delay or a tomb of doubt. I don't know what yours is. But you're wondering, who's going to move this stone for me? You know, Thomas was dead in his doubts. But we see him just a few weeks later, even though he's still dead in his doubts. Jesus had died and by God's power had been raised from the dead. Jesus had appeared to his disciples. But because of uh, Thomas's great doubts, he had separated himself from the disciples. And he wasn't there for that first appearance. But eight days later, when the disciples found Thomas, they told him that Jesus was alive. And in John chapter 20, verse 25, Thomas said this. He said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. And the Bible tells us that suddenly Jesus appeared among them, saying, peace be with you. Right at his greatest moment of confession of his doubt, Jesus shows up personally for Thomas. And he says this in verse 27. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. See, Jesus came to Thomas while he was dead in his doubt to show Thomas, to reveal to Thomas how great God's love for him really is. Friends, if you're dead in your doubt or if you're dead in your delay or dead in your discouragement, Jesus wants you to know how great God's love is for you. You may feel trapped in a tomb. Jesus is gonna go to great lengths to open that that grave for you, to raise what's dead inside you. you. You don't feel like you have the strength to roll it away. I want you to remember Jesus commands stones to roll. That's what he does because he is the resurrection, and the life. And that same voice that called out to Lazarus, come out. He's calling out to some of you today. Come out of your deadness in delay. Come out of your dead-end doubts. Come out of your debilitating discouragement. You remember the 23rd Psalm? In the 23rd Psalm, David writes... Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me, God. Because you're with me. See, if you're walking in the valley of the shadow of doubt or the valley of the shadow of delay or the valley of the shadow of discouragement, Jesus is with you. He's rolling your stone away in a loud voice. He's crying out to you today, come out. Come out, I am here with you. There's another kind of death that was going on that day in John chapter 11. At the end of this encounter, the verses aren't gonna come up. You can go look at them later. But in verses 45 and 46, they kind of conclude this, uh, uh, this encounter. It says that many, many believed Many believed in Jesus, which means they put their trust in in Jesus that day, but many did not. Many left that event and went and reported the events of the day to the leaders that they knew wanted to kill Jesus. It was public knowledge by then. Even after seeing all they had seen, because they were still dead in their sin. They had this great big debt. They were dead in their sin debt. Now, friends, you need to know this about the resurrection and the life. Jesus raises those who were dead in debt from sin. Friends, that's that's been all of us. 
Everyone who's ever lived sinned against a perfect holy God and has a debt to pay that none of us can possibly pay. That's why Jesus came, to raise us out of our debt of sin, that, that death. You know, so often we try to brush it off to make excuses for our, our sin. In John 15, 22, Jesus says, they have no excuse for their sin, none. Though we, we've all sinned, there's no excusing it. It's gotta be dealt with. That's why Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples to pray, one of the things he told them in Matthew chapter six, verse 12, you gotta pray and forgive us our debts. Our Father who's in heaven, Forgive us our great sin debt. In Isaiah chapter 59, we read, for our sins are piled up before God and they testify against us. Romans chapter six, verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Some translations say the payment, the penalty for sin is death. That's what our sin debt costs us. It costs us death. Eternal separation from the one who is the resurrection and the life. That's what it does to us. But Romans 6.23 goes on to tell us, though the wages of sin is death, says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we, how do we access that gift? The gospel writer John later writes this letter, 1 John Chapter one, verses eight and nine, he says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You're, you're, you're lying if you don't believe you have sin, that you've sinned against the holy God. And it starts with believing Jesus' word that we have no excuse for our sin, no defense for what we've done. But we've all got this debt before God. But verse nine tells us, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess just simply means to agree. You've got to agree with God that you're a sinner, that it has separated you from him because of your sin. And you've discovered that there's nothing you can do on your own to repay God except for receiving this free gift that God gave. And that gift was his son who came to die on a cross. Ephesians chapter two tells us and while you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even while you were dead in your trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. If you've trusted in Christ, God, through Jesus, raises those who are dead from their sin debt. Your sins can be forgiven, not because you're so good, but because he is. Your, your shame and guilt can be overcome, not because you're so strong, but because he is. You can feel his presence, not because you deserve it, but because God is rich in mercy and his marvelous grace. Friends, the resurrection is not what he does. It's who he is. Do you believe this? Do you believe it's for you today? Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to come right now and tell you that we do believe. We believe that you are the resurrection and the life. And we come now in, in these moments some of us come with hearts that are filled with doubt. Some, God, who are stuck in delay. Some broken in discouragement. And we just come saying, dear, 
Dear Jesus, we need your resurrection and your life to flow through us again. Right where you are, what you might need to hear is Jesus saying, come out. Come out. I've rolled the stone away. Come out. And you can respond to that today. Just cry out to the one who's the resurrection and the life. Or maybe today for the very first time, you've come to grips with the reality that you were separated from God and will be eternally separated from God because of your debt of sin. And it's death for you. And you feel it now. And you just want to cry out to the resurrection and the life and say, I confess. I agree that I am dead in my sins. My debt is great. But I'm coming to trust you. I believe today that you are the resurrection and the life, Jesus. And today I'm confessing my sin and I'm choosing to follow you to put my hope and my trust in you like those did that day at Lazarus' resurrection. I'm, I believe. Because the Bible says if you believe, you will experience a resurrection today in your soul. There'll be another one awaiting you on the return of our Lord when he comes back to this earth to receive his own. But you can experience resurrection today. Because he's the king of resurrection. He's the resurrection and the life. He wants to be that for you today. Maybe for the first time or maybe you need to, to relive the power of the resurrection for what you're facing now. Just come to him. Lord, we come now to worship you. You are the resurrection. You are our life. We love you, we adore you, we proclaim that we're yours, and we worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.